Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. As you know, I, uh, we are in this series uh, on Luke, and we're just kind of going through it, um, you know, a little bit at a time, chapter at a time, kind of. At this stage, we'll be going through it all year, but uh, I'll, I hope to sort of speed up here as we get closer to Easter, and um, I want to... Uh, I want to I jump right into the scriptures and just begin to talk about where we are in the passage. You know, last week we, we talked quite a bit about how Jesus was calling his disciples and what he's asking them to do, who we are as God's people, what we're supposed to do in serving him how we should lay our lives down for others. We talked about the guy who had been brought in from uh, outside laying on a mat, and they took him to be healed by Jesus, but the room was full, and the room, I'd never seen this before, but the room was full of religious leaders from Galilee, from Judea, and from Jerusalem. And so these guys couldn't get in. They couldn't get their buddy in. They couldn't get their friend in to see Jesus. They couldn't get their friend close to Jesus. Jesus because of all the religious people sitting there evaluating, standing back, judging, consuming the space, and how important it is for us to not be like the religious leaders that Jesus was really pushing on, but to be the kind of people that will love one another so deeply, so genuinely, We're so committed to each other that we are working overtime. We're willing to make a mess, build a, uh, break up the roof, a hole in the roof, and drop this guy down. We're willing to go the extra mile. We're willing to give the extra effort and make a mess to make sure that our friends can get to Jesus. And so, so this week, we're going to look at an, another passage, kind of a standoff between the religious leaders and Jesus. And so I want you to, to go with me here, verse 1 of chapter 6. Before we read, let's pray. Father, we're going to read the scripture now, and we need it to be illuminated. We need revelation. We need insight. And so would you give it to us by your spirit? You're the only one who can do it. We, we ask for it. We receive it in Jesus' name, amen. Here it is, verse one, it says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. If you have your pen, I want you to underline that phrase right there. The son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Of the Sabbath. If your Bible is too nice to write in, then enshrine it in glass and get a new one. Thank you. There's something about there's something about uh, taking notes and underlining that helps it get down into your soul. Let's look at what Jesus was doing now. He he's he's on the Sabbath and they're walking through some fields of grain. His disciples began to take some some of the grain off and they begin to rub away the what would be called the the chaff. 
right? And so they would, they would rub it in their hands and the kernels, and then it would get down to the kernel, and then they would eat that kernel. All the rest of the stuff would sort of blow away, and then they would eat it. Now, the Pharisees, who were the, really the, the, the ones who were in charge of interpreting many of the Old Testament scriptures, the Torah, and, and, and some of the, the, the commandments that had been given to the, the Jewish people, they, they, were, they were saying, this is unlawful for your disciples to do this. It's not right for them to do it. Why are your, why are your disciples disobeying what God has given us. And so we have to sort of take a step back. The law that they're talking about is not working on the Sabbath. It's, it's, it's choosing to rest on the Sabbath. How, just, just by, you know, if you don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think about whether or not you practice Sabbath. Do you take a day where you uh, don't do any work. Most of you have that really guilty look on your face. You can't see yourselves, but I can see you, and you're sitting there like that. Some of you, I see your wife going like this. The Sabbath is an interesting, it's an interesting commandment. It's the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it Holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Sabbath day to, to, to be kept, what they were supposed to do was they were supposed to work and provide all the meals and all the things that they were going to need on the Sabbath before the Sabbath came. Here in this moment, the disciples are, are hungry. They've been working with Jesus. There's been several things that have gone on. We've read about them, and they're... And they're they're taking a little bite to eat. Now, technically, what they're doing is they're, they're being accused of harvesting. They're being accused of reaping the harvest. When in reality, what they're doing is walking and, and just taking some grain and eating it. Now, Jesus, I believe, is picking on the Sabbath over and over throughout the Gospels, and I think he does it on purpose. I think Jesus is the one who picks on the Sabbath because the Sabbath day is one of the most difficult to interpret. You know, thou shalt not kill. Pretty easy. They're either dead or not. <laughs> All right? It's pretty, pretty easy to pick that one out and say, yep, I don't want to do that one. But the Sabbath has all of these restrictions. And there's actually a, 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 a rule book of the restrictions called the Mishnah. And it, 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 had, it was developed by the Pharisees and, and other religious leaders to kind of help people understand what was right and what was wrong. What's, what's allowed? How far can you walk on the Sabbath day? Um, how much food can you pick up and eat? How, how, how much do you have to prepare? How much, uh, what, what can and can't you do on the Sabbath? What is actually work and what's not work? And I think Jesus is picking on the Sabbath over and over again throughout the Gospels because it is the one way that he can begin to help the people who are following him and these, these religious leaders, he can, help, he, can, he can tell them, 
there's a new day dawning here. There's something, there's something coming that you don't quite understand when you try to obey all these little tiny um, restrictions and you, you don't quite get, you can, you can obey the Sabbath all you want, but if your heart's messed up, it's not going to work. You're, you're, you're going to miss the whole point of what God is doing in this moment. Jesus is coming and he's beginning to usher in a new era, a new age. He's beginning to articulate who he is. But here, the, disciple, or the, the disciples are, are doing this. The Pharisees are asking what are you doing that's wrong? Your disciples are doing something wrong, but the question really isn't about what they're doing. Jesus is making a point. He's making a point about who he is, that he is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, when you look at that at first glance, you're like, what are you saying? You mean Jesus doesn't have to obey the Ten Commandments? No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. People often get confused about this when we talk about law and grace. And you've probably heard Christians say it. Maybe you've said it yourself. Man, I'm so glad to be under grace, that we're no longer under the law, that we don't have to pay any attention to the law, that we don't need the law at all in our lives because God's grace has come. Now listen, Jesus is the one who said, I didn't come to abolish the law. He said that in Matthew chapter 5, he said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to make it so that you're not just obeying rules, but there's something else driving you. Is it getting darker in here? <laughs> Can you turn those lights back on? Maybe. So, 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 in fact, if you look through Matthew chapter 6 and you see how Jesus begins to articulate some ideas through the Scripture about what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, what he says is, you've heard it's been said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed it in your heart. He says, I, you've heard that it said, Don't, thou shalt not kill. But I'm telling you, if you're angry with your brother or sister and you, and you want to kill them, you get so angry that your rage controls you, you it's as if you have murdered them. So which standard is higher? Actually murdering them or not wanting to murder them? See, the standard of what Jesus is bringing in the New Testament and what he's bringing in the new era of the kingdom of God that's coming is he is aiming for something beyond, beyond just obedience. And so Jesus is making a statement here, though, about his authority. Jesus is making a statement about his authority. Everybody say authority. When you think about authority, you think about who's in charge. When you think about authority, you think about what the authority figure wants from you. You know, in American culture, we're not too big on authority. We have a lot of independence. We, we, like, we like our individualized rights. 
that I have a right to, to do what I want to do. But listen, authority is a big idea in the scriptures and in the kingdom of God coming. Jesus is saying, I am coming and I'm not just coming to add something. I'm not just coming to change things a little bit. He's essentially saying, I'm coming to take over. Okay, look, look, look what he says in verse 6. He says, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching a man, teaching, or sorry, he was in the synagogue, and a man who was there, man, I can't read here. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely. You know what that word right there means? Watched. It means they were kind of, they were trying to trip him up. They were spying on him. They were looking at everything he was doing. So he's, he, they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew that they were, what they were thinking and said to the man with a shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Now, see what Jesus is doing. He's in the synagogue. It's on the Sabbath. He knows what the religious people are thinking. So what does Jesus do? He's going to mess with them. <laughs> he says to the guy with the shriveled hand, the guy who's sitting over here in the corner, he's got the shriveled hand. He says, hey, you, go up and stand right in front of everybody. So he stands there, and look what Jesus does. He's standing there in the middle of everybody, then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Now, it's almost a silly question, isn't it? It's almost silly, and it would be funny if it weren't so sad. Because look what happens. Verse 10, he looked around at all of them and then said to the man. So Jesus asked him the question. He lets it hang in the air. It's hanging there. What's right? To do, to do something good, to do some, to do, what's lawful? To do good or to do evil, to save a life or destroy it? Which one, which one is right on the Sabbath? And then he sat there and looked at them all. Could you imagine being there? Like you're sitting in the synagogue. It wasn't a really group, large group of people. It wasn't like this. It would be more circular, and they would sit there, and they, they would look around at each other. Jesus just stared at them. What is it? And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. Imagine the moment. There it is. He looks around the room. The Pharisees are waiting. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? Everybody else is looking. What is he doing? He's looking around the room, and finally he says, stretch out your hand, and he stretches it out, and it's brand new. You can imagine the synagogue going, oh. they catch their breath, and they're like, oh, Jesus has healed this man's hand. This is reason for celebration. This is reason to rejoice. Look at, what this, look at what Jesus did to this guy's hand. This is awesome. Let's praise the Lord. Sing it again. Come on, let's worship God. But no. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. That's it. 
He's making people's lives better. We've got to get a hold of this guy. This is really bad. Now listen, you think it's funny because we have the blessing of hindsight. But what Jesus is identifying here and what the, what the religious leaders are showing us is the, the sickness that ensues when you get consumed in the laws and the rules and the regulations. What Jesus is pointing out is that religion that just deals with the outside, religion that just kind of deals with making sure other people think that you're okay or that you're nice or you're adhering to the, the rules, is deadly. It, it causes you to get angry when people get healed. It messes you up. Now, it doesn't at first. At first, it's like, oh, this, this is great. This, this, this is awesome. I, I'm doing so good. You know, I read my Bible and I pray every day. It's so awesome. I love reading my Bible and praying every day. It's so amazing. It's so incredible. I, I get so much life out of it. It's so incredible. I've heard that from so many of you over this January because you're reading the daily Bible reading, the one-year Bible with us. And we're reading it through this year. And in January, people are like, yes, I see Jesus. I see what God is doing. It's incredible. Somewhere around March, people, people are trudging through Leviticus. And they're wrestling through it. They're reading about sores. And, and here's what happens. It, it's, it, it transitions to being a duty. <laughs> I, I said duty. <laughs> Nick, I didn't know you were here. Now I'm really embarrassed. I said duty. Anyway, here's the deal. There's something that happens to a person when duty takes over their life. When responsibility to, to obey the rules and regulation without the power of God, without the authority of Jesus, when they, when they try to do it without that, that is not the gospel. That is pure and simple religion, and you can get that in any continent in the world. You can get that kind of religion, that kind of adherence to the rules and regulations. You can get that anywhere. What Jesus is saying is, I'm coming to do something new. I'm coming to do something different. And I want my authority to be established inside of people. Turn over there to the, the end of chapter 6, all right? I want to I go to the end of chapter 6, and then I want to go backwards. Verse 37. Verse 37, look at what Jesus says. He starts off with four, he, he gives four riddles. He, 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 Jesus is really funnier than we give him credit for. He, he, he gives some riddles and he, and he wants to articulate something. He's driving something home. He said this parable. He said, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not as above a teacher, but everyone who is fully tra trained will be like his teacher. What do you think he's talking about right here? He's talking to all these people. What, it, what, it, what are they hearing in their minds? They're hearing, you're going to become just like these blind Pharisees. Be careful who your teachers are. 
Be careful who you're following. The blind leading the blind, he begins to say it. He, he, he tells the story, he says, Every, everybody who's a student of a teacher, he'll become like his teacher, so you better be careful. Verse 41, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fall to see, fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, everybody, take your pen, underline it. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The speck and the plank. This is such a fantastic story. We should stop and talk about it because there's just something good about saying plank eye. He just has a, he, you, you got a big plank sticking. It's, it's, it's kind of funny if you think about it the way Jesus is saying it. There was a guy and he had a big log sticking out of his eye. And then there was this other guy and he had a little speck in his eye. And this guy with the log kept trying to get out the speck with this guy's eye. And he kept hitting him in the head with his log that was sticking out of his eye. And every time he'd try it, hit him in the head and it would hurt him. See, you got to read past the got to read past the stuff. You got to see the story. You got to see what Jesus is saying here. He says it's ridiculous. First take care of the log in your own eye and then you'll see clearly. By the way, he doesn't say that we can't judge or evaluate one another. What he says is evaluate yourself first. Evaluate your own heart first for what? For what? Are you under the authority of Jesus? Does Jesus have authority in your heart? Does Jesus, is Jesus the one who directs your steps? Is Jesus living in you? Do you have a relationship with him where you look to him and you surrender everything to him? Make sure that that's in place before you start trying to fix somebody else. Then he tells one more story. He says, verse 43 says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his what? Say it out loud. Out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. This is an, a, an amazing thing that Jesus articulates in the Gospels, and I think the rest of the Scriptures confirm it. There's a direct connection between your heart and your mouth. When Isaiah received the vision from the Lord in Isaiah 6, and the angelic being takes the tongs from the altar, and he places it on Isaiah, where does he place it? Does he put it on his ear? Does he put it on his hands? Put it on, no, he, he puts it on his tongue. James is the one who says that the tongue is an unruly evil. Anybody who can tame the tongue can tame the whole body. It's something is there's a direct link between your heart and your mouth. So what you say reveals what's in your heart. Reality television tells us that. The ugliness that comes out of people's mouths, it's disgusting. It's horrendous. Look, Here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, my authority is the thing that counts. What I want you to do is I want you to be the kind of people that will re surrender to my authority first. Look what he says in verse 
uh, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he's like. The person that calls Jesus Lord and then does what he wants, he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Sometimes we want to pay attention to what's going on in the building and the construction of the house. I don't know if you've ever built a house before, but it's really fun. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a joy to it, and there's a, like this, the, 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 the way it's going to look and the prettiness of it and the, the beauty of it, the, the decorating that goes on inside. You know, once it's built, if, you don't, if it doesn't kill your marriage, it's really wonderful to live in. My wife and I, have, we, 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 we built two houses. One, one, was, one was just started when we got our hands on it and we started working with it. The other one, we did it from the ground up. And here's the thing that I noticed. What I noticed is, is that the thing that takes the longest is the foundation. It seems like it takes the longest. It's like they're building a foundation. They have, first thing they have to do is dig a big hole. And they dig that hole for a long time. The bigger the building, the bigger the hole. You're, built, you're digging that hole, digging that hole, digging that hole, and, and you haven't even laid the foundation yet, and you know what you got? A big muddy hole. <laughs> it's, it's ugly. You're like, where's my house? What's, when's the house going to be put up? The work of dealing with what's in your own heart is difficult, strenuous. It, is, it, requires, it requires such attentiveness. What goes on inside is what we should pay most of the attention to. What we kind of like to pick out curtains and colors. <laughs> we like to spend our time on what it looks like on the outside. We like to spend our time making sure that everybody else thinks it looks good. But if you skip the foundation part and you invite people over and a big storm comes, your house gets washed away with the storm. Look, Jesus is saying, I want you to respond to my authority in your heart. And I want you to begin to give yourself away because the new era is not about obeying rules. It's about loving a person. The gospel, and, and we do it to each other. We evaluate each other, right? Sometimes, and sometimes we, we look at each other and, and we, get, we, we look at what each other does and we watch our actions, and, we, and as we're looking at each other, sometimes we, 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 we get into judgmentalism. Sometimes, sometimes we're evaluating from a really good place, but that requires a lot of investment and a lot of relationship. The place where you learn that is relationship with Jesus, what he's doing in your life, what he's doing in your heart. Look at, look at, look at what happens later here, earlier here in uh, Luke 6. Go up to um, 
Go up to these crazy ideas that Jesus has about how this thing should function. Verse 27, all right? Look up there, verse 27. It says, but I tell you, you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, these are four absurdly generous activities that Jesus wants us to engage in. Loving your enemies. What? I want to destroy my enemies. Don't you, what is this Jesus is talking about? Do good to people who hate you? How can that be right? It, it feels so good to hate. Bless people who curse you. Pray for people who treat you badly. If you think about this list, how can you do this? How can we do this? If we think about the city of Austin, we think about our neighbors. Some of you have mean neighbors. Some people in our city are going to look at what we do on a Sunday morning. They're going to look at who we are as God's people, and they're going to hate us. There is no way around that. How do you respond to this kind of persecution, this kind of treatment from, at all levels, from the very base level of your neighbor that lives next door to you to what goes on in the paper of our city, what happens at work. How do you do this? I think what Jesus is saying is this is the kingdom of God that is coming. The new era that I'm ushering in, it's going to look like this. It's going to be my people empowered to love those who are unlovely. It's going to be my power and my authority that's in their hearts. They're going to be able to do good to people. Do you know how hard it is to do good to somebody when they mistreat you if you don't have any motivation deep on the inside of you? Think about it for a second. If you don't see a bigger purpose and a bigger idea than just the way you're treating them, if you don't see anything more than just I'm being mistreated and I need to react and I need to stop this because they're causing me pain. Jesus is saying, what would the world look like if this could take over? What would it look like? What would the world look like if these things could be done inside of a person? Look, the only way it can be done is if what's inside the tree is really pure. The only way this can be done is if the foundation is really well built. The only way this can really be done, the, the only way that you can go through your life and be able to respond this way is if you have somebody else empowering you. If you the only way you can do it is if you borrow the strength from someone else. And he begins to move through you, and he begins to respond through you, and you begin to live in such a way that it, it, it 
drives people crazy. They can't understand it. What is going on? How do you respond this way when I just, I just keep treating you so cruelly and here you are just loving me, just, just taking care of me? What is that? Please tell me what's going on with you. That's where we want to get to. Isn't it? God has a ridiculously absurd generosity and mercy that Jesus wants us to copy. We're supposed to be like this because this is what God is like. Our role is to reflect these kinds of characteristics to a world starved for integrity, for humility, and for love. I don't have any more time left. Let me just give you these four promises and four warnings that continue. If you look up to verse 17, I'm gonna read them from the Message Bible because I want you to see this. Because Jesus, this whole, this whole chapter is, is a response to the Pharisees. Luke has written it in such a way that we see Jesus violating the Sabbath, but he's pointing to something greater than just the Sabbath. He's not pointing just to obeying the Lord to rest on one day a week or to heal and give life on one day a week. Jesus is saying, I want you to heal and give life every day of the week. Don't save it for the Sabbath. Look at, what, look, look, what I, look at what this says in the Message Bible. Here's the four promises. If you go to verse 17, here's what it says. It says, you're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. You ever notice that when you run out of yourself, you run to the end of the line, no more money in the bank account, what do you do? Oh, God. <laughs> If I could encourage you to go to God before the end of the bank account, that'd be awesome. But the truth is, the truth is what Jesus is saying. He's describing how this kingdom works. You're blessed. The way the new kingdom works is you're blessed when you realize that you don't have anything and God's kingdom is there for the finding. God's kingdom is all you have. You're blessed when you're ravenously hungry. Then you're ready for the messianic meal. I love that phrase. You're ready for Jesus. You're ready to eat what Jesus brings you and not what you can just provide for yourself. Number three, you're blessed when the tears flow freely because joy is coming to you. Even in mourning, even in sadness, even in the hardship of this earth, you can look forward because the kingdom of God is coming in you. There's something that's different about you. Joy is coming. Number four, count yourself blessed every time someone cuts you down or throws you out. Every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and that that person is uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Skip like a lamb if you like for even though they don't like you I do even though they don't like you I do and all of heaven applauds see I, there is no way you can live like this unless you have a changed heart Jesus is describing the society of the kingdom of God. Look what he says in the warnings four warnings he says but it's trouble ahead if you think you've, you have it made what you have is all you'll ever get if your life is all about what you can possess right now, if your life is all about what you can get right now, that's all you'll ever get. And it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. 
Number three, it's trouble ahead if you think that life's all fun and games. There's suffering to be met and you're going to meet it. Hey, our nation gets obsessed with a game that begins today at 5.30. I mean, for some people, this, I mean, football is a religion. You do understand this. You live in Texas. What is your heart all about? What is your life about? What, what is going on inside of you? Are you consumed with the externals or are you consumed with the authority of Jesus going down deep into your soul? Finally, number four, there's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. He's talking about the prophets. He said, your task is to be true, not popular. Hey, I hate to say it to you, but I think there are some difficult days ahead for us in our nation. I'm not, I, I don't like to be uh, real sour and uh, I'm, I'm not afraid, but I'm only not afraid because I believe in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I'm, the only way I can not be afraid is if I believe in what Jesus has said here in Luke 6. The only way I can face the hardship that I'm, that, that I'm looking at, no matter what it is, is if... Jesus has taken charge of my heart. Don't try to fix the outside. Fix the inside. Let other people speak into your life, even if you don't think they have the right motivation. Let people speak into it. Open your heart and let Jesus transform you. Make sure that you are willing to be transformed inside with scripture and by the spirit and with prayer and with community. And when we do, when we do, we're going to be able to say to people, hey, God wants to heal you. Stand up right here. Stretch out your hand. The only way you can do that is if you believe he's in charge here. The only way you'll have confidence at work to pray for somebody who's in need is if he's in charge here. The only way we'll reach the city is if he's in charge here. Can you, will you join me one chapel? Can you imagine what we, if we could settle this issue and not be distracted by all the junk that we're living in? If we could really settle who's in charge and we could live our lives like that? Close your eyes, bow your heads. I want you just to take a moment and I want you to, to listen to what the Spirit might say to you. Where is your heart? What, 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 what gets your affections? What, what receives your attention? What is it that's um, really got you struggling and fearful? I believe that Jesus wants to come and he wants to take over. He doesn't just want to be added to your hobbies. He doesn't just want to be added to your affairs. He wants to take over. There's trouble ahead if you're not willing to let him. 
You might enjoy something for the moment, but there's trouble ahead. Would you join me all across this auditorium in making a declaration that we're going to put Jesus in charge, that he is Lord over our hearts, he is Lord over our lives, he is Lord over my work, he is Lord over my finances, he is Lord over my family, he is Lord even over my sicknesses and diseases that I may have or somehow are connected to my family. He is Lord over the, the, the cruelty of others. He is, he is Lord over the, the difficulty that is happening in my life right now. He is Lord, and I'm going to make him Lord. I'm going to respond to him. I'm going to live in a way that allows him to love my enemies. I'm going to live in a way that allows God to work through me, to bless those who are cursing me. I'm going to rely on God's power and strength instead of my own. I just want to ask if there's anyone here, if you're here this morning, maybe you're here for the first time, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I, I haven't related to God in this way. Jesus really doesn't have a hold of my life. My life is full of myself. And it's time today, I can hear his voice speaking. I can hear it. I can, I can feel it down deep in my gut. He's calling me, and I need to make a commitment to him. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you walk forward. I just want you to lift your hand up in the air. If Jesus is speaking to you and you need to make a commitment to him today, whether it's the first time or first time in a long time, just shoot your hand up in the air right now. Yep, all across the auditorium. Yep, down here in the front, way in the back, over here on this side. Yep. Anybody else? Just say, yep, that's me. That's me. Yeah, just hold it up right there. No need to be embarrassed. No need to be ashamed. This is a moment for you to say, Jesus, I want to make you Lord. I want to give you authority in my life. Tell you what, all across the auditorium, let's pray this prayer together. Would you repeat after me? It's not really about the words you say. It's about your heart having faith. And so just repeat these words after me. Say, Heavenly Father, Thank you for Jesus who shows me the way. He laid his life down for me. I'm so grateful. Forgive me for doing my own thing, for going my own way, doing whatever I want, for being consumed with other things. I want to be consumed with you. Come, Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. I choose to follow you. I receive your forgiveness. Father, I pray for everyone who's prayed that prayer today. And Lord, I pray that it would be the, the catalyst to a true and honest and genuine faith. That it would not just be a prayer. That it would cause something to occur, a chain reaction of surrendering their heart to you over and over again. And Father, we pray that as we make this commitment to you today, that you would show us how to love better, show us how to care for others in a way that demonstrates your love and your mercy. Show us how to become the people that will reveal the kingdom of God here on this earth. 
Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us with our hearts. Heal them. Deliver us. Make them new today. In Jesus' name, amen.